call you Kent? Oh, yeah. That's what I go by. Since birth. I'll always jokingly say, uh, like, when I was born, like, you know, my parents just planned it. Like, I'm a junior, and, uh, you know, the household I grew up in was pretty volatile. (laughs) My parents were fighting a lot, a lot of yelling. And I'm a mama's boy, like, stone-cold mama's boy. And my older sisters were, like, 9 and 11 years older than me, and they both babied me. And I think, you know, as a joke, I always say, like, my mom decided to call me Kent because if she was teeing off on Roger, she wanted her baby boy to know, like, everything was cool between me and her. Yeah. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me here. All right. Um, I want to start with uh, where you're from. Are you originally from Columbus or originally from St. Louis? St. Louis. I was born in St. Louis, and uh, my dad got in 1980, mm-hmm. got a different job. I think it was like Headhunters actually sought him out. He was an engineer at a fiberglass company okay. in St. Louis called KSH, and a company called Plascolite uh, hired him, and so I was 10, and we moved here for his job. Okay, and that was back in the 80s, 70s, 80s? Uh, 1980. April of 1980 April was when we made the move. Um, so I remember being a... a, a you know, right when we first moved here, like driving from Westerville to his job a couple times and, mm-hmm. and seeing all those like all dude strip clubs like around Agler Road because Plastic Light was on Joyce. OK, I was going to ask you where that was. And so like those all nude reviews, yeah. uh, you know, at 10, that got my attention. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, later on at uh, like 29 and 30, when when, uh, you know, I'm a practicing heroin addict yeah. and drug dealer. And I've got a little side gig delivering pizzas for Donato's on Agler and Cassidy. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't really work too much. Like, I would cherry pick the orders to those strip clubs, and I'd hang out there until my walkie-talkie went off asking me where I was. There was um, an interesting thing on the news years ago. It was probably about 10 years ago where there was um, a robbery at the Centerfold Lounge. Okay. And there was a news crew there, and they were interviewing – I don't even think they were interviewing people. It was just a news, like a street beat journalist out there saying, hey, you know, this centerfold lounge was robbed for the third time this week or whatever. And behind her was in the parking lot was a fleet of Pepsi cars because Pepsi was right down the street. There's all these dudes that were on like on their lunch break. (laughs) That's the one by the airport, right? Yeah. I've spent some time there, too. Like, and I'm. Not like a huge strip club guy. Like, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I've never gone. Yeah. But uh, I had an old roommate that was a DJ there. And, like, I'd pick him up for band practice. And he'd be, like, winding down his shift. And so I'd be, like, sitting at the bar. And he'd, you know, play a song. And all the ladies would come by and be like, oh, you want to dance? You want to yeah. dance? And I'd be like, oh, no, thanks, ma'am. I'm just here to give my roommate a ride home. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, speaking of bands, what bands were you in back in the day? Uh one of the big ones was uh, Poets of Heresy, mm-hmm. hip-hop band. Yeah. Uh, a little bit before that, uh, one of the incarnations of Devil Cake with okay. Mike Gorley mm-hmm. from Westerville and my nephew Gabe mm-hmm. and uh, a guy named Paul Baker and Diego. And, man, it's... And Diego. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a trip. Like, I'll try to keep things moving forward but uh did diego pass away he did last year okay and uh man it freaked me out like i'm looking at old band photos i'm like shit man like three out of the five of us are dead like it's 
kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. But uh, uh, I was in a band called Big Ass Yard Sale. Yes, I remember that. I was in a band for a little bit called Jack Neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of bottomed out real hard late to, you know, by mid 2000, any bands I was in, I was given the boot because yeah. I was falling apart. I got out of treatment and I was in a band called Devil's Choice. Uh, Eric Wrong and the Do Rights, Shotgun Kelly. Shotgun Kelly, I remember. And uh, then I've kind of just been These on. These were a, all drums? Yeah, always drums, okay. at least for me. And uh, God, lately, it sucks. Like right before this pandemic hit, uh, me and three other guys, and these are dudes, like three guys I've known for 30 years. It's like family. Mm-hmm. And we've been working on these songs since like summer of 2017. I've had a couple singers that hadn't worked out. And uh, like a couple weeks before lockdown went into effect, we had a guy come out like to sing for us, a dude named Jordan Mitchell. He's a little younger than us. He fucking killed it mm-hmm. and was just like so natural and easy going to hang out with, uh, you know, guy I've been getting, you know, starting a friendship up with for, you know, over the last year, met on social media. And Jordan Mitchell? Of, yeah. What kind of music is it? Uh, man, it's, it's like hard rock mm-hmm. with a variety of other influences in there. But the easiest thing to say is like hard rock. And okay. Jordan can rip on guitar. He's a great singer. We had one practice. We're like, this is promising. Uh you know, and then <laughs> that's been it for a while. I wonder if I know him. You'd probably recognize him. I'll probably have to look. Yeah. He was in a usually, band called- I'm, I'm not really good with names. I've got a photographic memory, so I remember everything that I see usually. He was in a band called The Beggars. The and Beggars. played guitar and sang in that band. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe someday. Uh, We're going to try and do some studio stuff like, right. while all this is, is happening. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just it's lots of adjusting for everybody. Yeah. Like one of the, one of the guys in the band has like a family member that just got moved off of, you know, the COVID unit to regular unit. And, you know, it's been fingers crossed for months, Yeah, you know, for his family member to be okay. Yeah. I know people who've had it. I know somebody who died from it. It's hard. It's rough. You know, it's like you want to go on, you want to get on with your life and you want also at the same time, respect others. It's a hard thing to do. Um, so mu- music has been in your blood for forever. Um, yes. One thing that I've always been fascinated about you, and I've never seen anybody do something like this, and those are the heads. Oh. It's, uh... I mean, I think long after you're gone, uh, one of the things, one of the major things that you're going to be remembered for are those heads. I'll take it. I've seen, I've been in people's houses and their stores and stuff, and I'm like, Hey, there's a head right it, there. Man, it, it's so weird because, like, I'm, I'm self-taught. Uh, you know, I I turned 50 last year. You know, like, my, my youngest nephew, when he was a little boy, like, told my sister, like, Mom, I don't think Uncle Kent's a real adult. And she was like, well, he's kind of not. And, like, I still kind of think of myself in that way. And, you know, when I go to gallery shows or I'm hanging in a group show, you know, like I still have like this self-consciousness and insecurity like mm-hmm. that I'm uh, like two drunk grade school kids trying to hang out at the high school party. And, and eventually like the grade school kids get too drunk and fall out of the trench coat. And everybody's like, oh, like <laughs> we knew he wasn't the real deal. But uh, but it's always like so awesome to hear. And, and you know, sometimes I got to check myself and not it all get arrogant. But 
you know, just confident, like, shit, I'm doing it. Like, I, I'm, I make a living as an artist. Like, somebody made a post on social media the other day. They're like, oh, I'm looking for a professional artist. And somebody tagged me in it. And I'm like, oh, LOL. And then I'm like, whoa, wait. Yeah, I, I kind of am. You kind of am. But I hope I, I hope I maintain, like, just, you know, the, always be grateful. Yeah. And like stoked to be invited to the party yeah. by all the other artists. And like the thing on those heads, like um, I'm such a pain in the ass. And, and I will say that because, uh, you know, like I did a lot of art when I was little and then all of life went off the rails for a while and started again, just dabbling in my mid thirties. And my mm -hmm. friend that suggested I paint with him, I didn't want to do it but I didn't want my new friend to think I was a dickhead. So I was over at his house and like painted in the studio with him yeah. and then started getting serious about it. Like really almost exactly a decade ago. It was like the Friday of Memorial day weekend, 2010. And that was when I obsessively started painting all day, every day. So that was 20 years ago, this previous week, 10, 10 years ago, yeah. this previous week. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, a whole so, decade of so, head. So with the heads, it was another similar thing. Like a good friend of mine, Charles Wentz, who's like a prolific Columbus artist and painter. And he's probably one of the first people in town that I kind of like was like, oh, wow, like his, his paintings are amazing. I was maybe 19 mm -hmm. and seeing his stuff around Columbus. And, you know, we've gotten to be good friends over the years. And, and, you know, I'm hanging out at his house and he had gotten a new scroll saw. And he kept saying, like, well, why don't you cut some shapes out on my scroll saw and paint them? And I was like, because I don't want to. Yeah, and, that's fucking uh, stupid. And then I'd be over there again. And I'm like, oh, here we are with the scroll saw again. And, and, <laughs> and a couple times I cut like, some I just want to go smoke a bowl real quick. And <laughs> well, no, it was uh, this would have been after I got sober. Oh, OK. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this was probably like, uh, so that's even worse. You're sober and you're like, man, I, I really don't want to be here. Yeah. And I'm being different. Well, I wanted to hang out, but yeah. I just didn't want to cut out any shapes, you yeah. know? And, <laughs> and so finally he gives me a shape that he had cut out and, <clears throat> you know, I immediately saw a monkey cause it was, uh, you know, like clearly like a head, mm -hmm. but the ears were really big, which made me think of a monkey and it looked like it had a little bellhops hat on. Mm -hmm. So it kind of reminded me of like, uh, you know, the old organ grinder monkeys yeah. or the, right, right, I think right. it's an organ grinder. Yeah. And, uh, so I still had it for a few months and didn't paint it. And one day I was, you know, it's like, I'm going to paint a monkey wearing a bellhops hat on that thing. And I posted it on Facebook and within like, less than a half hour. So he's like, I want to buy that. The light bulb goes off and then had a window show. How much, how, how much did you get for it? If you don't mind me oh, asking. 40, 40 bucks. Oh, I, I used to come real cheap Yeah, and I'm probably still really cheap. Like in comparison to, you know, what art can and does sell for it's demand um, and popularity. Yeah. And at, at the same time too, like, I don't want to, maybe I could keep pushing it. And I very, very slowly push the prices up, but like, and everybody deserves art. Like yeah. it shouldn't be a matter of uh, affordability, of finances. Yeah. And and so even lots of times, if I've got lots of stuff left over and there's nothing coming up that I need to hang it for, I'll just be like, "Yo, fire sale!" Like, yeah. how do you come up with other than like commission pieces where somebody says, "I'll pay you to do this head"? Mm -hmm. Do you just look at like influences or just uh, pop culture or ah? Uh, I guess like dip, different things. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, in 2017, I had a show in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, my first time showing in Baltimore. I've got, like, some really, really good friends there. And uh, I'm a huge fan of The Wire. Like, as far as, like, any TV shows of that nature, like, that one, hands down, is my all-time favorite. Right. And I've probably watched the whole thing, you know, maybe six times. Just watched it again recently with Tamara, yeah. my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm also a huge John Waters fan and have been probably since, I don't know, sometime in high school. I was and, uh, really jealous that you got to meet him. Oh, he, dude, he was so awesome and engaging. Yeah. And, uh... And, like, I'm always worried about bugging famous people. And he was the one who pulled me in yeah. for, a, for a photo. Like, just a sweet, but sweet But you man. were there for another reason, though, right? I was there to see a show. Oh, okay. Like, I, thought, a, I thought you were invited or something. No, no. Okay. There was, like, a retrospective show that he had up at the Wexner Center. Right. And so I was there for that. And then people were like, dude, there's John Waters. Like, show him the portrait you painted of him. And they kind of pushed me towards him. I'm like, no, I'm too shy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, being... You know, that I'm a huge Wire fan, a huge John Waters fan. Like, that was just a go-to to paint a bunch of portraits for this Baltimore show. It's like, okay. you know, my love letter to Baltimore. Um, I mean, I've always had an insatiable appetite for music, movies, books. Uh, I'm not really a big sports fan, but I like characters. So there will always be some people in sports I think are, are really neat just because, you know, they're a wild character. And, and so if I'm... Paint was them. that part of the big red machine that you did? Yes, yes, yes. That was a commission. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with like that in mind, there's always endless people that, that right. I could paint. And if I'm just painting some for myself, I'll go that route. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and see if it sticks. And somebody yeah, will yeah. love that shit. Like there was uh, like an example, 2014, summer of 2014, I'm, I'm sick because I'm – or I'm not sick. I'm getting well, actually. But I'm on uh, – Hep C medication because I had hepatitis C from shooting dope with dirty needles you yeah. know, before I got clean. And uh, so I'm really not working at all. And I've got a list of commissions. And fortunately, everybody's being really patient. You know, they're like, when you feel better, you know, paint our stuff. There's no hurry. And I'm broke because I'm not working. And so I had a couple days, you know, in that you know, frame of being where I'm like, I feel like painting. Mm -hmm. So instead of painting any of my commissions... I paint Chuck Biscuits just because he's one of my favorite drummers. Drummers, yeah. <laughs> so it, it could go, you know, it'll go that route. I remember watching him and just, I was like, man, that dude's literally like standing up. Yeah, yeah. He, sat, <laughs> he sits tall. Yeah, he's like. <laughs> and I don't necessarily know if he sat that tall with Black Flag, but he definitely did with dancing. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's a beast. Right, and he passed away. Did he? Yeah, a long time ago. That blows me away. Like, I'll try to look online to see. I'm going to look it up. Just okay. Because, um, so you, you got commissioned. How, I'm not, I don't want to go into how often, but like, how many, how many heads have you done? Roughly. I've got like in the folder that I put them in, I number them, uh, you know, probably around 350, very loose 350 at this point. No, he's still alive. Okay. He's just so <laughs> off the radar, though. Yeah, I thought maybe it was like one of those things somebody put on there, and it was just like, no. I, I hate the ones when people put somebody <laughs> passed away, 
is like they act like it just they don't know they're like oh man it's so sad but people are like bro that was like five years ago like i gotta wonder it i'm not i don't mean to like diss anybody that yeah. does that because like people make mistakes but yeah. like sometimes i wonder like what what happened that yeah. you're just now finding that like it's today? articles whenever i i don't post any of that stuff anymore just because back back in the day i used to get butt-ass drunk and just troll like a motherfucker, I would just go on there and just start rambling on people and be like, "You don't know what you're talking about." Even if I didn't care about it, I just be like, "You don't know." What you're but like, if I ever go to post something, I always look at a date, you know, because that could be very effective on what you know is going on in the climate today. Dude, know? I am so grateful. I am sober in the age of like social media and yeah. camera phones and all mm -hmm. that stuff because. Uh, you probably wouldn't be alive today. Oh, correct. Yeah. Correct. But not, not not by any other thing, just the, like, you know, saying something wrong, you know, taking pictures of something. I mean. But as far as, like, notoriety, like, it, it would be like, you know, some Columbus version of, like, Scott Weiland, like, fucking up all the time. Like, I remember at one point in 2000, one of my bandmates was like, dude, I'm hearing bad stuff about you. Like, somebody told me, like, that they saw you sleeping in some trash behind you know, like yeah. in back of high street, dude, I was so pissed, but actually like, cause I didn't remember sleeping in any trash. I, mm -hmm. it probably happened, but like all the stuff I was doing, like sleeping in some trash behind a bar on high street would have been like on the really positive side of, of wait, things yeah. I was doing with my life. I, uh, on my 30th birthday, I'm 44. I've been sober for six years, uh, six years next month, actually. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, but on my 30th birthday, which would have been yeah, 2005, um, I think. <laughs> I don't even know. I got, I got really drunk at the Blue Danube. And then we went, my daughter's mother and I went to uh, a Jive Turkey show at Andy's, Andy Man's Treehouse. <laughs> and we, then we went back to the Blue Danube. I'm like, let's go back. We took a cab back to the Blue Danube. And I got so drunk that we started walking her, her her stepdad lived on high street way down by like nancy's home cooking and uh we started walking and i didn't make it i woke up by somebody opening up their door and saying what the fuck are you doing on my front porch Ugh. <laughs> and i was like i'm just sleeping on your couch man i'll leave i'm out of here bro i'm out and i knew that i mean i had always known that i had a problem you know, it wasn't, I, I had known, it wasn't, I just never wanted to quit, obviously. But after that, I was like, man, I've got a child, you know, I think I should probably do something about this. And I never did until six years ago. It took me that long. It, it takes a while. Like the first time I ever went to like, uh, you know, any kind of 12-step meeting, I was 20. First time I went to any kind of detox, I was 23. Mm -hmm. uh, first time. I started doing any kind of like going to any kind of meetings with regularity. You know, I was, uh, 24. I went to treatment at 31. Like mm -hmm. it just, it takes a long time. And, and, you know, I'm not sure, uh, like I've got a 30th birthday story and it's, <laughs> and I still didn't even, you know, the, the day after my 30th birthday, I went to detox again Yeah. and, and still didn't even stay clean after right. that. I, I went to Parkside, that's the only one I haven't been to, but I've, I've done the tour of Franklin County Detox. I never paid for it, <laughs> but I went there. Um, 
And I don't know. And I don't think they're still open. And if they are, I hope they're not listening because I owe them money. (laughs) They might be. Yeah. Uh, Well, if they know either one of us, they're probably. Um, I like, what did I do? I, I went to Europe and hung out with a friend for about six weeks, five weeks. Anyway, I had a ton of money and I was on drugs every single day I was there. I remember it. I remember being there, but I was just high every day. And when I got home, I called my dad. I was, you know, I had roommates and stuff. I called my dad. I was like, I need to go get help. And when I went, I cleaned up. And when I got out, I was sober for 50 days. And I'm like, ah, fuck, I need a drink. So I went back to drinking, but I never touched any of the hard stuff again. And it was rationalizing being an alcoholic. You know what I mean? And I continued to be a drunk for 15 years, 14 years. I'd do a lot of stuff like that. Like I would, uh, like I would separate it all. Like there's drugs, mm-hmm. and there's different kinds of drugs, and there's booze. Right. And if this I, this stuff isn't that bad. And if I had a heroin habit, I couldn't hold booze. Like I would try, mm-hmm. and I would just puke it up. So I'd quit spending the money on it. And so then I'd get out of detox, and I'd think, oh, I can have some cocktails, like because this stuff's different. And it really took being in treatment. I went late 2000. And I finally got a grip on, like, my genetics are just different. Like, I would think that I had successfully pulled off social drinking. But really, what it was, was I was in trouble with people. And if I had more than a few, I was going to be, you know, in more trouble with them. Yeah. And, uh, and then even then, I'd sneak a little bit. You know, oh, I'm going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I'm doing finger quotes here. Yeah. <laughs> Chug a bunch of shots. <laughs> Do some blow in the bathroom and I'm social drinking. Yeah. 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 Um, that's probably, it's hard to say, but I, if if you were a fan of The Wire, our friend Steve Earle. Oh, yes. Was yes. was our counselor for a while. What? Yeah. It, he, he was on that show. No, like he was your counselor? No, and, oh, on the show. Oh, oh God. Gotcha. Yeah, he, yeah. he was the counselor. Yes. Yes. He was, know, uh, so. he was a uh, bubble sponsor. Right. Yeah, so Wayland. His, his name was Wayland. So you, you could identify was. with that show in the means of, hey, I've been to jail before. I've never been in prison. That, that was a prison show, wasn't it? I'm starting to think I'm confusing. no. The, the Wire was uh, a cop show. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, like drug dealing. In was Baltimore. Steve Earl in that? Or am I thinking? No, Steve Earl was in it. He yeah. was uh, like one of the characters. Bubbles was a junkie. Okay, and. Uh, Goes back and forth on trying to get clean, and by the end of the show, he stayed clean for a little bit. And Steve Earle is his uh, like twelve-step group sponsor, right? And his like main sport person, right? Yeah. So I was a fan of Steve Earle before that, but it, to see that character, oh, I really because he's a sober person. Now. Yeah, yeah. In real life, that's always been like uh, inspiration for me. When I when I found out that you were sober, I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, because yeah. I should be dead. Like for real, we both should be. I mean, and Steve Earle was like, uh, like in the '90s when, you know, I started finding out, you know, about like his sobriety story. He was inspirational, and and uh, but it still took a few years after before I finally got it. Yeah, I was um, at Cafe Bourbon Street. This was probably 1997, and I I would work the door. You know where that is, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I would work the door so I could drink for free. And the bartender was Sarisa, and she would be like, oh, don't worry about it. You can just work. Just just check IDs. I'm like, sweet. And um, 
I had been drinking those big mason jar drinks. You know, they either served it in a little mason jar with a handle or a big mason jar, and it was just a mason jar. And there was a party going on across the street, and they were like, come over across the street when you're done. There's, We got plenty. We got keg. We got whatever. And so I went over there. After I was done, it was probably about like 1 o'clock. You know, they're like, we don't need you to walk watch the door anymore. So I ran over there. And they were, their, their keg was gone. But they had bottles of stuff. So I'm drinking this crap called 99 Bananas. <laughs> it was so nasty because I hate bananas. But they were like, you know, here's the drunk guy. He'll drink that. Drink this. You can have all you want. So I'm drink, I drink that whole bottle of 99 Bananas. And there was this dude, Dean. He was very. He reminded me of. I don't know what his last name was. I wouldn't say it anyway. But he reminded me of Johnny Knoxville. Okay. He was very charismatic and very good looking and everything, and everybody liked him. He was like, "Hey, we're going to go to Nancy's home cooking. They're going to. I think they're going to open in like an hour or whatever." I'm like, "I just want to go home. Can you drop me off?" You know. I think he didn't hear me say I want to go home. He was just like, "Can you drop me off?" And so it's like five in the morning. I've been drinking all night. We load up in this car. And we're driving down the street, and I'm like tunnel vision. And uh, <clears throat> I'm like, wait a minute, drop me off. I don't want to go anymore. I, I, I just want, I wanted to go home, which is that way. So just stop the car, let me out. I saw a bridge. I thought it was Iuka. I'm like, just drop me out. So they pull over. They're like, we're not dropping you off. I'm like, drop me off. They open the door. I get out. They drive away. I'm down at Second Avenue. Oh shit! Five o'clock in the morning. It's still dark. It's summertime. The you know you look up at the lights. They're this amber light, and you can see the bugs flying around them. And I look away, and there's no light there anymore because I got tunnel vision. I'm like, I better start walking. So I start walking like on Fourth, I think, and I'm like, well, I gotta go. I live on Maynard, so I gotta cut this way and kind of go that way. I'm downtown. I'm not thinking straight. So I cut down this alleyway, and these guys get out from behind, out of the shadows. They get out. And I said, look, I don't have anything. And I'm just, I'm drunk. You know, I don't have any money. I don't have it. Bam. My head hits the cement. And it's in the alleyway, so there's little pieces of gravel in my cheek, all over my arms. There's little pieces of gravel. I'm like... Just leave me alone. I don't have anything. And I feel my wallet, my chain wallet get ripped from my pants. I'm like, God, they're going to kill me. And that's what they say. They go, if you get up, we're going to kill you. I'm like, well, shit. What am I going to do? Right? And I, I look, I, I'm like, well, I can't scream, you know, because nobody's going to do anything. And so they take everything. They're hitting me with pipes. They're hit, They're kicking me. You know, they're calling me names and everything. And I'm like, okay, there's a break in the action. I get up, and they're like, get you, they're like hollering at each other to hit me one more time. I just take off running. I run, and I run, and I run, and I go through these houses. And I run out in front of somebody. This guy slams on the brakes, and it's raining now. I've got blood gushing out in my head, right? It's coming all down my face and in my facial hair and everything. And the dude, he had his lights on. He gets out of his car. It's just like what seems to be like this 12-foot black guy, probably 350, 400 pounds. But in reality, he was probably like, you know, six foot. But he was huge, like a linebacker. And he's like, get in. I'm like, okay. I'm crying. I'm bawling. And uh, he's like, where do you want to go? 
I'm like, well, I live 400 East Main or East Maynard. So he he starts driving, pulls up, gets out of the car, gets me out because I'm drunk. I, I I'm bleeding all over. He he was driving a brand new Cherokee with leather interior. I had blood all over that thing. He gets out. He carries me up the steps. 400. There's a there's some uh, uh, a store, an alley, and then there's my house. And I live with Josh Kayser. Oh, okay. And he carries me up the steps, sets me down, knocks on the door. There's a hole in the door from where one of us punched through it at, like a week before. You know, we get drunk, we just punch shit. And he opened, Josh was up. He was up playing his guitar and stuff because he worked nights. He got off, you know, worked at the Blue Danube or whatever. Opened up the door. He's like, what the hell? That dude was gone. He was already gone. Next thing you know, cops are there fire the fire engine was there squad called you an ambulance called me he 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 was like i was like man i don't believe in guardian angels i was thinking that same term but that guy was there for a reason cuz you know they were behind me i know those guys were after me and uh i know from experience a combination of being uh like overly inebriated on whatever, yeah. Combined with head trauma, yeah. Combined with like trying to run and navigate stuff, like does not work out well. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, they said they told Josh they were like, um, we can't do anything. We're not going to take him in. <laughs> and uh, when when I have him on, he's going to come on in a couple weeks. We'll kind of elaborate on the story to get his version. But he, he, they they were like. What? Don't let him fall asleep, uh, and uh, don't let him stop breathing. Basically, he took me. He took me upstairs to the bathroom. Took my clothes off. Put me in the shower. Made me wash all the blood off. Took me back downstairs. Laid me on the couch. Watched me fall asleep, and sat there for three hours watching my chest go up and down. It's a good dude. Yeah, he's a very good dude. He's a solid guy. I mean, you know, we all do stupid stuff, and. That didn't stop. That was not a wake-up call. That was oh, not. Oh, yeah, I can. I can, You know, I it was just relate. like the next that's, day. That's I just went, a little hiccup. Like and, I, and, I had the whole side of my, the right, right side of my face was all severely bruised, disfigured. I went in. I sat down beside Dean the next day at, at uh, Cafe Bourbon Street because he was there. He was always there. I sat down, and he was like, hey, what's up, dude? And I got up, and I walked to the other side, and I'm like, not much. And he was like, holy shit, what happened to you? I'm like, you dropped me off at 5 o'clock in the morning, downtown Columbus. But um, it was my fault, you know. One I, would think, like, a story involving, like, some kind of drink called 99 Bananas <laughs> would be more festive. <laughs> hey, um, do you uh, go to drag shows? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. All right. Well, that is a lead-in to my commercial. Oh, okay. You want to take a little break? Yeah. All right. Let me – I'm just going to leave that rolling. You know, do you, you know what an ex-carver is? It's a good dude. Amavita Designs is your resource for unique pageant wigs, glamorously rhinestoned gowns, and dazzling handcrafted jewelry with assiduous glimmer, carefully created by nationally acclaimed designer and local artist James Duff. Partnered with Central Ohio natives Chris Higgins and Tammy Peak who both add a touch of class to collectible designs and intricate woodcrafts available on Facebook Marketplace. Search Amavita Designs and go to www.amavitadesigns.com. 
had to get that out of the way. Back to the grind. Uh, we wanted to talk about your writing. Okay. Um, your haikus. Interesting about the, uh, well, I'll start, you know, similar to, to artwork. You know, I always dabbled in some writing and, and I could definitely tell a story. But it would usually be, you know, with the homies at one point, you know, when I was younger, partying, you know, with friends and telling some story about something crazy that happened. And then it's weird, like, I, I get sober in, like, my life in a lot of ways. Like, it's less dangerous, but it's not any less crazy, you yeah. know. It just ridiculous, fun stuff would always happen that would give me uh, material to tell stories when spending time with friends. And so I had, you know, a little bit after getting sober, I worked in a treatment center for almost eight years. And that was an amazing job for the stretch of time that I did it. And just due to budget reasons, I was let go in early 2010. So again, we've got like this decade mark. Um, and, uh, you know, I was scared. It's like, I'm 40 years old. What the hell am I going to do? Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a counseling degree. Uh, I've got all this experience in the field, you know, like I know how to do stuff like this. And uh, having some letters and numbers after my name, officially, mm -hmm. you know, it'll move me into a higher tax bracket. Right. And uh, so it took a little while to get, like, my classes together. I think, unbeknownst to me at the time, it was fear-based because it was really daunting, the idea of going back to school at 40. And so, like, every quarter, I'd have done a little bit more, and I'd expect to get my schedule, but I'd missed crossing some T's and dotting some I's or dotting some T's and crossing some I's or, or what have you. So it took a year before I was enrolled in classes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and in the meantime, you know, the painting thing came up, you know, like I'm starting to paint all day, every day. So I'm actively being creative. And this also happened during a time where like I wasn't in a band, so I'm not drumming with regularity. So, you know, I was really needing that creative outlet and I'm mm -hmm. getting it from painting, but it's got like the wheel spinning. And uh, so early 2011, I go back to school. You know, January, classes start. Um, and, you know, it was just a basic education requirement I needed to take to, you know, to get the ball rolling. And it was an English class. And I just loved it. You know, I've always loved reading. Uh, I wasn't doing creative writing, but was having really fun, a lot of fun writing, uh, you know, essays on stuff we were doing in class. And, and uh, the professor was very encouraging. And so the next quarter is, uh, and this is kind of where we're getting into, you know, the haiku. And I made a decision. It's like, you know what? I love this so much. Like, I don't want to be a counselor. You know, I really had to kind of look within and it's like, you know what? Like I'm burned out. Like there's a statistic I read somewhere, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure of, of its accuracy, but I've read it in more than just one place. And that, uh, you know, certain people suffer from a seven-year burnout in social work. And I think that that was me. Uh, I mean, I was tired of going to clients' funerals. You know, yeah. that's a reality of, of the situation. Right. Um, it comes with the gig. Yes, yes. And if I'm going to clock in in a place like that, I need to be a, at 100%. Otherwise, I'm just hanging out and collecting a paycheck. Like, those guys deserve something, you know, from, from me. You know, it's a, a special needs client base, for sure. Yeah. Lots of compassion and lots of patience. And... And I was just kind of drained, you know, admittedly. And uh, 
So it's like, I'm going to get a, a degree in, in uh, English and creative writing. And some of my friends are like, you know, what are you going to do with that? Work at the gas station? I was like, no. I don't care. I'm going to have fun at school. I'm going to roll a dice and, and take these classes. And, and, and see, a lot of times, not to interject, but sometimes it's like, it's not the, it's not necessarily what you're going to get. It's about the environment. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, you're going to be with like-minded people mostly. You can bounce ideas around these people and you're going to be learning your ass off. You know, so I know what you mean. It's like, it's not about the degree. It's not about that. It's about what I, I'm passionate about. And I was, I'm a self-taught drummer. I'm a self-taught artist. And I could see that I had some ideas that were good for writing, but I needed a formal education to help me start to structure all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, I did spend a lot of time with a lot of amazing people, both my instructors and professors, as well as, uh, and they were mostly way younger, but like they were, my classmates were delightful. And, yeah. and you know, I've got some grouchy fucking friends that'll like badmouth millennials. And I'm like, millennials made me a better writer, mm -hmm. you know? Like these younger people were awesome. Some of them I'm still really good friends with. And, and, uh, and well, lots of. It's just the same way as boomers. Yeah. Bad yeah. mouth Gen Xers. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, we're grouchy. But, uh, so I think it was my third quarter in school. And I'm taking a poetry class. And this is where, like, the haiku comes in and then also gets things back to Steve Earle a little bit. Okay. Uh, it was. Man, it's just crazy timing, you know? Like, I've got a really good friend, Danny Bland, and, uh, you know, he tour manages different musicians. One of his main gigs is tour managing Dave Alvin, and, and uh, you know, I'd run into him. I, I forget. I was, he was doing some kind of, you know, on-the-road work, and he had been in town, so, you know, like summer of 2011, so we'd seen each other again and got to visit, and it was like a little bit after that hang, you know, like I'm scrolling through Facebook and it happens to be the exact same week in my poetry class that we're studying haiku with the Japanese masters, you know, which is fascinating. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times like haiku, you know, it can get a bad rap, like, you know, the dirty limerick. It's like, okay, you can just write some dumb stuff and make it fit this five, seven, five syllable structure. Um, you know, but I'm scrolling through Facebook and, and, you know, like his haiku stuck out, like, you know, people are posting about their food or, or some stuff they did or like some other silly stuff. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, it's a really small post mm -hmm. because it's only, uh, you know, 17 syllables long. And I'm like, man, these are dope. Yeah. And, and it's not, uh, you know, there's like this element, you know, because like the Japanese masters, it, you know, always had to be about nature. And, you know, if you really kind of twisted that a little bit, like, you know, some of Danny's haikus like fit like a different kind of nature. It's, you know, like concrete. And, yeah. You know, uh, they were gritty and, and they had a lot of heart. And I messaged him. I'm like, dude, these are amazing. Like seeing them every day, like, you know, the, you know, the, like, the light bulb goes off. I'm like, what's going on here? This isn't just a one time thing. And it's yeah. a once a day thing. And we, and, we, we, at this point, you are, you already knew what haikus were. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it wasn't nothing new. It was just that you would start thinking about it more. Yeah. And I, I hadn't seen him like he was writing them. And, uh, so I messaged him. He's like, I made a commitment to myself. I'm going to post one a day for a year mm -hmm. and I think you should do it too. So I did it. And then, uh, like early 2012, we were hanging out again. I was in Los Angeles and had a gig 
working with him on the uh, red carpet set of the Grammys. Like he was the production manager of like the whole set. And I was mm-hmm. production assistant, which meant like I got coffee yeah. and right. stuff like that. And just like looked at all these people. Yeah. And, yeah. and hung out with him all day. Uh, it was like maybe a 12, 12 day job. But we really, we talked about all kinds of stuff, but we're really talking about the haiku and just, you know, he's used to being around a variety of famous people due to his line of work. So it's probably not as big a deal to him. But the story, you know, from where I'm sitting, you know, it just sounds surreal. He was like, oh, yeah, I was in a group of guys that, you know, the first time I'd made this commitment to write and post one a day for a year. You know, I, I don't know how long he lasted, but he quit doing it. And he was saying like, oh, it was Steve Earle and Jeff Bridges. And it was just like such a wild assortment of people. My mind was kind of blown. Yeah. Um, so it, in a roundabout way, we were talking about Steve Earle before the break, like, you know, St- Steve Earle planted the seed in Danny's head to do this exercise, who then got me to do it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, the year, the first year I was talking to him, I'm like, dude, this has become such a part of my daily routine that like, I don't feel accomplished if I quit. The idea of quitting is making me anxious. Yeah. And he was like, well, let's do another year. And so I posted, I wrote and posted a haiku a day, sometimes more for three years straight. And then since then, like I do it sporadically, but it's still a regular thing. And the idea of the book, like it just kind of came about in phases from, you know, Danny had put one out <clears throat> and I started thinking I wanted to do it. And I had different ideas of how I wanted to go about doing it. And, uh, like even when I first talked to Ken at Nick's comics and mm-hmm. he was really interested in doing it, like there were things in the formatting that very organically and naturally started falling into place. Like yeah. Rob Jones did some artwork. Allie McGregor did some artwork. One point Allie was like, well, why don't we make it a flip book? And I was like, Oh, wild. So if you know, you're looking at the front cover, uh, you know, all Rob's go and then suddenly everything's upside down. But like, if you just, flip it and look at the back cover, right? you know, like then that's all Ali's artwork and it meets in the middle. Mm-hmm. And even kind of thematically, I did my best to, uh, you know, for it to kind of start and end each half with the same vibe and, right. and, uh, thematically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's issues of drug addiction and mental health stuff and, and love and lust and, and heartbreak and really, really dark, you know, frames of mind. And, and some of it just, fun stuff, you know, about like musicians or about like characters in movies or just all around silliness. Right. And, yeah. That's wild stuff. Did you, and what happened? He didn't, did that just fall through or? Oh no, there's uh like I said a little bit ago, like I completely spaced when I left or I would have, I would have brought you a copy. Oh, that's the, what yeah. you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. Dag on it, man. Next time. I'll, I'll get one to you. I'll get yeah. one to you. Um, that's interesting. I didn't know that you actually, and then, like, for that poetry class, you know, I, I uh, you know, I wrote some longer poems, but for the long t- longest time, like, I stuck with the haiku. And then with writing, like, where I was really excelling and what I was really love, loving writing when I was in school was uh, fiction, short stories, mm-hmm. and uh, creative nonfiction. And at OSU, I won some awards for both. And, uh, like, one of these days, I'd like to you know, that might be one of my next writing endeavors is to compile a book of the short stories and, and have friends do artwork again. Right. And, uh, uh, it wasn't until, uh, maybe it was early 2017. I started going to writer's block poetry, which Mm -hmm. my friend Scott Woods, 
uh, it's his open mic poetry show, and it's at Cafe Kerouac, and uh, which is right down the street from my crib. And like, you know, I, Scott and I like were introduced by a friend, mutual friend on Facebook, and uh, I went to one of his lectures. Like, it was a really amazing lecture, and I was like, I got to start checking out this poetry thing. And I'm so funny. Like, if stuff has been going on in Columbus for a really long time, and and like for whatever reason I haven't heard of it yet, mm-hmm. I've always got this attitude like, God damn it, like motherfuckers are keeping secrets. Right. Like, yeah. But uh, so I started going to writer's block with regularity. You feel like Fu- you're missing out. Yeah. And uh, finally got up the nerve to read some stuff, and I read some older things. And then on my 49th birthday, which was in 2018, it was like uh, 20th anniversary of Writer's Block. And I was like, fuck, man, I got to write something brand new for the 20th anniversary. And it's not like I've done it a ton, but since then I have written more mm-hmm. longer poems. Yeah, I used to write. I used to write a lot. Um, I started going, like our lives are so parallel it's crazy i'm I'm probably going to edit this out but like i w- went to go back to school about five years ago so when i right when i sobered up i'm like i missed out on a lot of shit so i'm like i'm gonna re- i'm gonna enroll i'm gonna do this you know my 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 sales were say you know my the wind was under my sails and then like i went to columbus state i got i talked to a, an advisor and they were like, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do that. Do your FAFSA, all that stuff. I did all that stuff. And I'm not seeing anything in my uh, my financial aid, you know, on the you go on the browser and you do all this stuff on the Cougar web. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not doing anything. I don't feel good right now because there's no money there. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm supposed to be getting some financial aid. It's not there. First day of classes start, I call. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I don't have money to go get books. You know, they're like, well, go just buy the books and you'll you get paid back. I'm like, I don't have any money, right? And so, like, what it turns out was I finally got through to somebody who knew something. And they were like, well, I see what it is. 18 years ago, you dropped out. They were not going to give you any money until you either pay for a class or a couple classes or write an appeal and whatever. And that wind was gone. And I was just like, you know, fuck it. I'm not doing it. You know, this is, it was a stupid idea anyway, you know? And then, uh, several years later, my daughter's getting older. She's 16. And I'm like, if I don't do this now, when she graduates, I won't, I just probably won't ever do it. I'll just go back to drinking or whatever. I was thinking that this is the time I got to do it. So I started going back about a year and a half ago. And so I'm working, going to school and preparing this thing, this podcast type vodcast thing. And I went through other things like I was into real estate photography, real estate cinematography, 4K real estate stuff, uh, wedding. I I don't want to do weddings but I'm like, I'm creative. I want to do cinematic stuff. I want to create. And so I'm like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to change my major to film studies. So I'm on the track to do film studies, but I'm actually thinking about calling off this summer because it just started yesterday or two days, whenever summer semester. I can't do it. I just don't have the time or energy to do this. My other job and editing and school 
But last summer, my first semester back to school in 20 years, they published a paper in the textbook that I wrote. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I still kind of have it. Dude, going back to school as an adult, like I was 41. Yeah. And I, I went right after high school and, and just did miserable because I was like an alcoholic and a drug right. addict and yeah. a drug dealer. And, and, you know, like I was majoring in photography, but like, you know, my actions were more like I was ma- majoring in like getting a buzz, mm-hmm. uh, right. get, getting VD all the time yeah. or crabs. And, right. uh, you know, so some classes I did good in, other ones I didn't. You know, I eventually drop out just because I'm bottoming out at life. Yeah. And, uh, like, going back to college at 41 and doing well and, like, really working at it, like, it did wonders for my self-esteem mm-hmm. and, and my confidence and, and was fun. Like, That's, I really enjoyed it. Like, some of it was... crazy that you're saying this because when... I've been out of the loop. I would be at like events and I just don't talk to people, you know, it's not that I'm scared or anything like that. I just don't have anything to say, you know, I don't think you don't have anything to say. You probably do. Well, I don't like small talk. You know, this is deep. This is like, you know, something that I would, if I was talking to you at like, say, you know, uh, an event somewhere. I remember I was talking to you at Naomi Brown's uh, punk rock flea market. And literally people have to pull you away sometimes. Like you, cause you get into a conversation like this and it's just like, you're connecting with somebody. It's not this stupid shit. I like connecting. Small talk makes me anxious. Right. I don't like it. Like I'll literally, you know, if, if within somewhere between the half hour and 45 minute mark, if it's just like constant small talk, like I'm going to have an anxiety attack. Yeah. And I'm going to bail. It's time to go. You know, it's like, I'm looking at my watch. And even like, I'll tell people like certain things that might be like small talk, finger quotes, uh, (laughs) subjects. You know, if one of my friends is telling me like that they like this song or they like a movie, I want to dig into that. Why, Why is this? Why do you like this song and this record so much? Like, is it the guitars? Is it the rhythm? Is it the lyrics? Yeah. Is it a combination of all the bu- all of the above? Well, if it's the guitar, like, is it like the tone? Is it is it the notes? Like, is, you know, like I want to ask all these questions to like really right. dig in and but my, and then I, I'm really getting to know somebody. But my point is, you know, you went for so long without enriching your brain with knowledge that when you went back it's almost like an overload you know what i mean it's like i it's like this is what i needed well, I, I needed to, this shot of i got to start spilling stuff out right like earlier i'd mentioned like is you know ever since i was a little kid you know i had an insatiable appetite for music movies books mm-hmm. you know all kinds of stuff and so being in bands, you know, I got to play the drums and work with, you know, all that music I pumped into my system. Um, you know, now I'm starting to paint. So visual elements of movies, you know, I'll be able to put stuff out there visually. But like all the books that I read, you know, and there's all this stuff bouncing around. And, and you know, it was just good timing. I guess I was like ready to do it. and I got some encouragement. And so all this, you know, writing just started spilling mm-hmm. out. And at first it was like a stream of consciousness mess. But like I said before, like the education helped me start putting form to it right. to make it more user-friendly to the readers. 
Yeah. It, and that education was a kickstart. Like I, I would always, if somebody ever says, I don't want to go back, just go back just for a quarter, a semester, you know, just do something that you think you want to do. No matter if it's like, you know, you, some people think, I used to think, oh, you're going to take a pottery class. That's fucking stupid. That's dumb. Why would you pay to do that? But it actually rejuvenates your mind. It's stimulating. Yeah. And I even started seeing, like, it didn't matter what the class was because I had, a, you know, like a stats class I had to take. I had a couple science classes I had to take. And it was like, and all of this other learning is, is fuel for writing. You know, if I want to look at it that way, like stuff in, I'm learning in geology can be used as like metaphors and, uh, or even, you know, one of my classmates, it was a trip and I keep going to this geology class, but we're learning about, I think it was minerals and there's this flaky stuff called mica. And, uh, one of my classmates in one of my writing classes was writing about like dancers putting their costumes on and like the shiny stuff. Yeah. You know, like, you know, similar to sequins, but they were either made out of mica or they looked like mica. And I'm like, all of this can go into writing. And suddenly my science classes are a lot more interesting. Right. Um, <clears throat> now changing the tune just a little bit. I just wanted to say um, <clears throat> that like one time uh, I was at, I think... I can't remember. I think it may have been at Naomi's shop. Uh, but I saw you, and I'm like, who is this dude? Right? You didn't have a beard. By the way, this is like the Beard Brothers show. Oh, yeah. You know what? <laughs> I was thinking about coming in, and I was laughing today. And what it was reminded me of is that it's like a 2012-era meme. Yeah. And it was like, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up and you got all those tattoos? And it's like Lyle Tuttle and a couple other guys, like, all hanging out together. And yeah. it's like... Well, I'm going to grow an epic beard, and I'm going to hang out with my other tattooed friends, and yeah. we're all going to look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, that, we're here. That's us today. Yeah, um, but you, you were a lot cleaner <laughs> looking, like your face was clean shaven. But I'm like, where do I know this dude from? Um, but, like, I, I remember going back. I was nine years old, okay? 1984. Okay. I met this dude. I was in fourth grade. He was new to the area. He was new to the school, right? And like, um, was it Whittier? Yeah. And like, so I met this dude, and he was cool. He was weird. He was like eccentric and everything. And I mean, this nine-year-old dude, right? And he had skateboard, and he was cool. And it was his birthday, and he invited all these motherfuckers over to his birthday party. And we get there, and. I'm like, I really like this dude. This dude's cool. He's new. He's different, right? And then we left. Um, and I would go back over to his house every once in a while. And, like, he was he was introducing me to all this different stuff, like uh, like the violent femmes. And I was, see, at that point, I was back, I was uh, Beat Street. I was Run DMC, Fat Boys, Grandmaster Flash, Prince, Michael Jackson, you know, I had the Michael Jackson jacket and the parachute pants and here comes this dude and this is like, you know, uh, this dude's different. And, and he was like, why don't you come over, man? Why don't you come over? So I go over to his house his mom was killer. She was like, I kind of had the hots for her because she was so nice and she was young, you know, she was a young mom. I'm like, wow. 
And so I liked being over there. And he introduced me to the violent films and like the clash, you know, um, there was the sex pistols. I'm like, what in the world is this stuff? Right. This is cool. You know? And he had this guitar and the guitar had like three strings on it. And he was like, Oh, you don't want to play that. That's broken. That's, you know, it's my uncle's guitar. I'm like, well, I'm going to play it. And I, and he would always talk about his uncle and how he lived in St. Louis. It wasn't St. Louis. It was St. Louis. And I'm like, why do you call it St. Louis? He's like, that's what people call it from there. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And like, I picked up and I started playing. I started playing Louie Louie. And after that, I went home. I was like, man, this dude's so cool. I told my dad, I'm like, can you please, please, please go get me a guitar? He's like, no, I'm not going to go get you a guitar. But he went and got me a guitar. And that's when I started playing music because I wanted to impress this dude. I remember one time uh, his uncle was there and he was like, this is my uncle Kent. I'm like, oh, wow, man, this is the dude that he was always talking about. You know, this is the dude from St. Louis, you know. And and then when I saw you, I remember the last time I saw Gabe alive. Like we always, I mean, we lost contact, but whenever we saw each other, it was like, hey, how are you doing? We loved each other like friends. You know, it was like we had a connection. The last time I saw him, it wasn't good. Like, he was sick, and he was different. He looked different. He had gained a ton of weight. I'm like, he said, he was like, hey, Jason. I'm like, I look. I'm like, I don't even know who this is. Is that you? Is that Gabe? Yeah, it got bad fast. Like, Gabe's like my little brother. We're mm-hmm. really close in age. We're five years apart. Uh, you know, when we were little, of course, like, you know, older and younger brothers do that are around each other all the time. We'd fuck with each other. Mm-hmm. But there definitely got to be a point in time where, it, you know, I just, that wasn't fun anymore. And we were close, but we got really close without, like, the antagonistic qualities. Yeah. And you're mentioning, like, he turned you on to stuff. Like, he turned me on to stuff. I was just telling a story yesterday. Uh, it's my sophomore year in high school. And that was the year that, uh, like, Dee Dee and Gabe would come and visit all the time. And his mom, you know, who you mentioned, Dee Dee, she turned me on to tons of stuff. Like, yeah. So much music. And uh, so, like, my parents are gone, and, and Dee Dee might have been out. And so it's just me and Gabe at the house. And I'm going to be honest, I was smoking some weed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah. and uh I hear this noise coming out of his room and I'm like, man, I'm responsible for him. Like what the fuck's going on? Like it sounded like ambulances with their sirens on repeatedly crashing Mm -hmm. and somebody howling that was in pain. And so I go, I knock on the door. I'm like, what's going on in there? He was listening to the butthole surfers and I'd never heard the butthole surfers before. And it was barbecue Pope. And you know, so if I'm, Sophomore, that makes me 15. He's like 10. <laughs> Isn't and, that crazy? Know, so this 10-year-old kid's turning me on to the butthole surfers. Yeah. And, and, like, he was a great guitar player, great artist. But, like, to kind of fast forward to what you were saying, you know, like, my own alcoholism and drug addiction and, and his alcoholism and drug addiction, you know, that was stuff that would get in the way of our closeness and the amount of time we spent together. Um and, you know, after I got clean, we would still see each other, but, you know, not as regularly. And, you know, we still had some great times and some great laughs. Like, I can hear his laugh in my head all the time. It always makes me really happy. But, uh, like, he had gotten, it was maybe 2006, like, he had to get some hip surgery. Mm-hmm. 
and there was a little stretch of time I hadn't seen him, and then, and he didn't look great, but he didn't look bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it looked like somebody that was young and was partying too much. But then Christmas of that year, I saw him, and I didn't know he was coming, like with my sister to, to my mom and stepdads when they still lived in town. And uh, so I hear Gabe's voice. I'm like, oh, I'm all excited. Like, Gabe's here. And then I saw him, and he was just so, like, in such a short amount of time, he got so bloated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I kind of recognize that as Gabe. It's totally his voice, but his face is so puffy. That's what I'm saying. And it's, and then, you know, it was less than a year he died. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him. I was like, he passed away. And I was like, I literally just saw him, like, two weeks ago. Yeah, it was like, I hadn't seen him in a long time. And then I see him. And maybe two weeks later, I find out that he had passed away. And I was like, are you kidding me? I, I didn't expect it, but it didn't surprise me. Right. Yeah. It was, you know, we know him. We know what he did and, and, and all that stuff. And it's like that old, how, how old was he? 32. 32. It's like that thing where, like, you know, some people burn out. You burn out or you fade away. He burned out. But, like... When I saw you, I was like, where do I know that dude from? And then when somebody was like, oh, that's Kent. I'm like, Kent. But it was like 30 years ago, and I still remembered your face. Yeah, look at this. I got a baby face. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. that's true. However, I saw that picture that somebody posted recently and tagged you in it. Yeah. Or I don't yeah. even know if they tagged you in it, but it was there. It's like it was you. I'm like that's that's Kent from. I saw that heinous mullet, you yep, know that. Yep. <laughs> were popular in the 80s. Yeah, but he, <laughs> dude, he talked about you relentlessly, man. He was like, "This is my uncle, you know, from St. Louis." And uh, well, Gabe was from St. Louis too. I know, he was, but he would he would uh, he would say, "Oh, we're going like, uh, you know, spring break's coming up, and it's time for us to get together." And I'm like, "But he's going to St. Louis." I'm like, "God damn it, you're going to St. Louis." I mean. You know, I didn't have a crush on him or anything, but he was my dude. You know? No, I get it. We I all it. had friends, and he was one of them that w it was fun to be around. And he was fun to be around. Regardless. I remember in high school, he had a, uh, him and I don't know if I should say his name. There was another dude that he ran around with. I don't even know what happened to this guy. But uh, they put uh, these suction cups on their foreheads. <laughs> Do you remember that? Do you, did anybody ever tell you about that? Maybe. This is in high school. At South, at Westerville South, and they put suction cups on their foreheads and made these big circles. <laughs> and, like, I think they were suspended or something. And they were like, we were just like, what are these guys doing? They're insane. These guys are literally insane. That's crazy thinking about, like, when Gabe and I were in a band together, you know, I was in my, or, you know, I was 23. Uh, you know, I might have been the second oldest guy in the band. Like, Paul was... Maybe about he was probably the oldest. He was probably pushing thirty, and then Diego and Mike were like a year younger than me, you know. But we're all in our twenties. I mean, Gabe was—I mean, he wasn't going anymore, but he—he he would have been in high school, mm -hmm. you know. So he was like sixteen or seventeen, like playing guitar in our band, like playing at stashes and like the older Columbus music clubs. And you remember, you know, he could fucking shred like at that age. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, that was that was. Uh, yeah, man, I can picture him in my head now. Like, yeah, yeah, that was he one had of hair, games. and you just walk like that, and yeah, I don't know. I might 
edit that out. I just I don't like saying people's names if they're not. I can respect that. Uh, if they're if they're not here to potentially defend themselves yeah, if necessary. Yeah, like um, they're lying. I never babe, I don't know what he's talking about. You didn't say anything too bad, you know, like a lot of people get suspended from high school. Right. Um <laughs> Well at least maybe not, but that's how I look at it. That's my norm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Other yeah. folks maybe not so much. Yeah, it was pretty uh, common with my group of friends. I mean I could think about things that I think are like really common or really normal, like you know, again, in my early 20s, like I'd start dating somebody and I was telling one of my fucking raunchy ass stories about getting crabs. And I was like, yeah. well, you know, you've had crabs, right? And she was like, no. Right. And I was, well, I've kind of had them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at my medicine cabinet. Yeah. If you if you know what's best for you. All right. Well, I want to have you on again sometime. Uh, I'll come back anytime. We hit, oh, what's, what's coming up? Potentially... Like, man, everything, it's such a weird time right yeah, now. Yeah, it's the, crazy. Yeah. Uh, so whether it'll actually be, I mean, potentially something in Baltimore, but, yeah. like, I'm not sure. That might be a little too soon. And, you know, I don't know that the venue would allow for, you know, like a video show like a lot of people mm -hmm. are doing. Mm -hmm. What's definitely coming up is my man, Scott Woods. I'd mentioned him earlier. He's got a venue on East Main Street called Streetlight Guild. Mm-hmm. They do all kinds of dope stuff there. And me and my friend Frank Lawson have an art show. Okay. And there'll be some of the heads, but there's going to be a lot of bigger paintings. Some of them, uh, he and I collaborated on the same painting. Other ones, we've painted stuff to kind of complement each other that'll be hanging next to each other. And then just a bunch of our own stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the pieces I'm really excited about, we're doing like a fictional comic book cover and that'll have lots of wood cutouts, mm -hmm. but it's going to be all like anthropomorphic uh, animals, right. uh, like a science fiction kind of outer space thing. And but completely absurd, and ridiculous, as you'd expect. Right. That's, um, has, that's a, like the heroes crew. They're called the Yacht Squad. That's and, a uh, prerequisite. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Yacht Squad. Yeah. Just because it's absurd. Like, why the Yacht Squad? Why not? Yeah. And uh, it's a squad and they're on a yacht. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a spaceship that looks like a yacht. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. And uh but that is in water. <laughs> and being that Scott owns the venue, yeah, uh, I don't know how it'll happen. But like, if quarantine, social distancing stuffs going on, uh, I've seen a few. Like recently, Streetlight Guild did. Uh, you know, they got all the. Dang, now I'm forgetting the fabric company. But anyway, it was like the Prince quilts, which were kind of like a big deal. And he had like uh, 75 of the Prince quilts hanging in the spot. And he was able to do a go live, do a virtual tour. Um, you know, so, you know, it's not the same as being at a gallery opening in person, but it's better than not seeing the stuff at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it could be everybody might see it like that, you know, and maybe uh, Frank and I can be there with Scott is – we talk about the art and, you know, show the pieces. So that's coming up. There was uh, a friend of mine turned me on to an Instagram live feed from uh, a guy in L.A., I think in Venice, who does like this oddities. I've never been to L.A. I want to go there. I so. like it. Uh, but it's uh, Venice. There's an oddities thing. It's super hip out there. And he was just going around and showing these weird trinkets and stuff. I bet you Tiffany Boggins would know who this guy is. I could see that. Uh, I want to have her on. Awesome. I have, yeah. Tiffany's awesome. I do. I'm afraid to talk to her, though. 
but maybe I'll get the nerve. Just ask her. She's really sweet. <laughs> um, but this dude was going around and telling all these stories, and he told this story about this box and about how there's this baby involved and all this stuff. And he's like, and then when you open the box, there's the baby. I'm like, holy crap, that's crazy. I was. Uh, it was a real baby inside this box. It was all mummified. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I had loose plans to go to Los Angeles at the end of the year, and I was excited. I was excited about a lot of stuff this year, but, uh, you know, life had other plans. Yeah. My friend Carrie was in L.A. visiting her brother when this happened. And I was like, are you going to be stuck out there? You know what I mean? Because they were canceling flights from uh, all the different countries and everything. And I was thinking maybe they're probably going to shut down airfare you know air travel here and but they didn't and she made it home i've got a few different friends that like were abroad or were traveling or, or doing different stuff when all this stuff hit and uh you know they're they've kind of got some wild stories and yeah. you know of course they're they they're good storytellers and their perspective and spin on it was right pretty entertaining scary but also like entertaining like, yeah wow this might be a two-parter. This might be yeah, like I, I might have. Well, no, I might have to split this up in, in half. Oh, dig, dig. I mean, I, I know a lot of people are fans of long form, but uh, we'll see what happens. See how I edit it out. I don't think there's going to be much editing, but you know, you're always welcome to come back. And bring, oh. bring the, the the lady friend, the partner, the okay. girlfriend. Okay. I bet she's got some crazy stories. Yeah. Yeah, she probably yeah, we, doesn't want to be a part of this we, stuff. We keep each other entertained. Yeah, and she she seems to like my material, which yeah. is probably why we hit it and off she, so well. I mean, and she makes me laugh too. I mean, it is what it is. All right, Kent. Well, um, you have a website. It is www. KentGrossweiler.com. Okay, and I don't update it very often. I, I probably need to update it. Uh, I am, admittedly, I'm lazy. Administrative stuff, I'm lazy with. There's some stuff on there. I, I checked it out. I like the instant gratification of, of Facebook. And it's hard. It's hard. I've got a website. I don't even that post to my art page on Facebook. It's just all my regular. You know what? I have. I subscribe to a, one of these um, online social forums that you can log on to and when you post it posts to everything like twitter instagram i don't even do that <laughs> it's a one-stop shop that i i just go to facebook dude my website's so easy it's on squarespace and i i renew it so little i gotta give myself a tutorial on how to use squarespace every time I'm... i know what you mean i'm on wix and it's it's easy but it's just it's just uh, you need to hire somebody to do it because it's not something i like to do it's fun to do it for like an hour, and then it's just like, I'm, I'm over it. I keep saying, like, you know, I need an intern because I'm so irresponsible with my time management. Yeah. But I also get really anxious, and so, like, the intern would be, like, trying to help me out to get stuff yeah. done, and they'd get on my nerves, yeah. and I'd chase them out of the house, and then I'd come back, like, a couple of days, like, begging them to come back, and I'd chase them out of the house again. And then they'd probably just be doing, like, dumbass shit, like, trying to keep me on task when I started, like taking a break from painting to make butthole. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised we didn't bring that up yet. Maybe, maybe that's a good spot to, uh, yeah. <laughs> to wind it down. Oh, here comes the credits. All right, Kent, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right, Jason, thanks for having me. Yeah.
You've been listening to a Focal Point podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.